Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Maria. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy and through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the answers to the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. And welcome to the show. Hey, Maria. Hey, Shelly. Do you have any special plans for the holidays? Probably not. I have been debating all on that uh, quite a bit. And I think I've come to the conclusion that we're just going to stay home this year. Uh, With all that this year has done to us, I think the idea of traveling during the holidays is just not in my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) How about you? Um, not really sure yet. We were going to go to North Carolina, but I don't think that's in the cards anymore. Um, and a lot of it depends on like my mom's health. Right. Yeah. Yeah. John usually cooks Thanksgiving, right? Oh yeah. Cause I don't cook. <laughs> like I don't. And, and what's worse is like, you kind of don't want me to cook if you've taped mm. my food. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. But he originally brought it up and he's like, you know, we should host Thanksgiving. And I was like, well, we normally we just go out to a restaurant. Mm. I was like, well, we usually go out to eat. And he's like, no, we should like host it this year. I'll I'll do all the cooking. And I'm like, listen, if you're going to do all the cooking, <laughs> how can I turn that down? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're hosting Thanksgiving. Well, that's nice. Yeah. I like having a good. Thanksgiving is the one holiday in the year that I really enjoy being around all of my people. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that I don't enjoy being around all my people outside of that, but like the group meal just feels different. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, gratitude is in the air all around. Yeah. Well, yeah. So this year, I think um, my friend Christina and I are going to be doing Thanksgiving together, which we used to do every year because I used to live right behind her and we'd have Thanksgiving together every year and it was great. Um, and then we moved out here and that became more complicated. So this year she and I decided to revive the tradition. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's going to be nice for Morgan too. Yeah. She, she loves going over there. Yeah. <laughs> Spoil the crap out of her. <laughs> so this week i read in the news that there is a lower rate of a specific strain of um, vaginal bacteria found in women who have premature birth Hmm. so they're wondering like is is there a connection there like does is being low in that bacterial strain increase the risk of premature birth for some reason, because, you know, and it's right. possible we're, we're learning so much about the microbiome and how actually important it is. But the other thing is I was reading a book about the microbiome of mom and baby. And what they were saying is, and the third trimester, that's when the biodiversity of the um, vaginal microbiome changes and increases in that specific strain. And if that's true, that would make sense that moms who have premature births don't have as many as that bacteria because they it hasn't had time to colonize yet. And in right. that case, they wouldn't it wouldn't be connected at all. Right. It would just sort of be 
uh, commonality, I guess. That's interesting. How do we even get roundabout to connecting those two things? Let's study vaginal bacteria and see if it's related to premature birth. Well, you know, someone... <laughs> and then like, I know. And then just consider like the billions of strains of bacteria that live in our body and mm-hmm. how they found this. They managed to find this one (laughs) that is like (laughs) one out of billions. Can you guess which one it is? Guess. Uh, I don't know. I'm not good. Lactobacilli. Oh, I was going to say, but lactobacilli come in varieties of strains, right? Mm -hmm. There's so that's They're just saying lacto um, or maybe they listed the more specific one, but. Okay. It was, you know, Latin, so it just went right over my head. Right. right. Yeah, I know. I don't even, I can't even pronounce some of those. So the bottom line is we need more research. Yeah. <laughs> the bottom line is we still don't know what triggers birth. Right, right. Um, so I'll link to that article in the show notes. And next up, we have our question of the week. So this week's question is, how long can a two and a half month old goal go without nursing? My baby sleeps nine hours without feeding at night. Well, the answer is it depends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like with most things in lactation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, it depends on how much they're nursing in a 24 hour period and how much are they growing? I mean, if they're mm-hmm. growing well, that's that's usually the indication that they're getting sufficient calories. So mm-hmm. if they have a nine hour stretch, then enjoy that nine hour stretch. Mom. Yeah. That's what <laughs> I usually say. If your baby's, if your supply is well established and your baby's getting well, then, you know, enjoy that sleep secretly. I wouldn't tell any other parents of two month olds yeah. that you're getting that much sleep. Yeah, really. <laughs> I wouldn't expect, I wouldn't depend on it to last either. Like yes, I would, I would yes. almost say, enjoy that while it lasts. Right. So um, two of my kids started sleeping like eight or nine hours at night at four weeks old. Oh, wow. Yeah. I enjoyed that until they were about six months old. And then they didn't sleep <gasps> through the night again until they were like four years old. So <gasps> what happened to Morgan? She was fantastic sleeper up until about six months. And then mm-hmm. it just went downhill again from there. And she was up probably two or three times a night nursing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you got this like slightly traumatized look across over your face <laughs> for a second. I got a little worried for you. I just remember, I, I just remember because it was so stressful for us at that time. Like, oh my God, she woke up again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh yeah well hunter had his colicky phase and that was you know he cried 2 a.m to 5 a.m every night for like three months and brooke would always sleep through it but he would wake summer up and she'd come and sit in the bed she'd start crying and we'd all sit there together crying crying (laughs) yeah together from 2 a.m to 5 a.m oh god that sucks so enjoy your sleep okay (laughs) we are <laughs> it's not gonna last. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can always count on the four month sleep progression through and everything. Um, this week, have you ever heard of the infant feeding lab? I did recently. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Rachel actually sent that to me. And I was like, why did I not know about this sooner? Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't wait to actually do the membership. (laughs) Can Can you like describe what it is? Yeah, I, it's all it's all bottle feeding, right? Mm-hmm, I didn't bottles. like bottles. Yeah, and I didn't. Right, I didn't explore too deeply into the website. I kind of just gave it a cursory um, once over. But yeah, it's all about bottle shapes, nipple flow rates, a little bit about like the right bottle for the right baby kind of thing, like mm-hmm. a mouth shape. I want to say yeah. right something like that, mm-hmm. um, and um, just again, finding the right bottle for your baby. And it's nice because they have um, sort of two membership options, one for parents, that just kind of gives you the the good basic education to help you pick the right bottle for your baby. And then they have one for educators like us to help us understand the whys and how it all works and ties in together and how we can um, translate that over to our clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfect. Yep. And this was started by a mom and a mom local to us. She's from, she's in Massachusetts. No kidding. Yeah. And she, she was just like this mom who was like, I need to know this information and started doing these official studies and experiments to, to measure nipple flow and what each brand does and how they compare and what's the best nipple flow, you know, for your baby, that kind of thing. And yeah. she's going to be our guest this week. Oh, that's exciting. Yes. So that is coming <laughs> up next. Yay. So if you have ever struggled with bottle feeding your baby or not sure why your baby is like gulping at the breast or maybe rejecting the bottle or fussing when they get the bottle, then I'm really happy that you are here to listen to this episode Today, we are speaking with Britt Pados. She is a neonatal nurse practitioner and a certified lactation counselor. She has a PhD in nursing focused on infant feeding and has done research on flow rates of bottle nipples. She owns Infant Feeding Care, where she provides breastfeeding and bottle feeding support to infants and families in Massachusetts, and she owns Infant Feeding Labs, where she does research on infant feeding products. She also has three kids, including a set of twins who were born prematurely and spent time in the NICU for feeding difficulties and a full-term baby who refused all bottles. Hi, Brie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm really excited to have you on today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So my name is Britt Pedos. I am a neonatal nurse practitioner and a certified lactation counselor. Uh, My background is actually working in the neonatal intensive care unit, Um, so working mostly with premature and medically complex babies. And then I went on to get a PhD studying feeding in babies with medical complexity um, and have done quite a bit of research on feeding, uh, including on bottle nipples, uh, particularly Mm -hmm. flow rates from bottle nipples. And then... Most recently, I have opened a clinical practice in Wellesley, Massachusetts, uh, where I'm doing outpatient um, bottle feeding and breastfeeding support for babies and families in the community. Um, So that is a clinical practice called Infant Feeding Care. And then I also own a small business called Infant Feeding Labs, 
where I'm now doing uh, the testing of flow rates and sort of other aspects of bottled nipples. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's how I heard about you is through infant-feeding labs um, from another IBCLC. And when I learned about it, I was like geekly excited. <laughs> it's like, oh my <laughs> gosh, look at all this data. Look at all this research. Yeah. What do you do at Infant Feeding Labs specifically? Can you tell us a little bit more, like why you started it and what you, what kind of research you're actually doing? Yeah. So, you know, this all kind of started in, uh, I guess this is always how it works is that it's never sort of what you expect. So this started because I was interested um, during my PhD program in looking at how babies with, who had had heart surgery responded to different flow rates of nipples. Because there had been a little bit of research on that topic in prematurely born babies. And so, you know, I kind of started thinking about that. And then I was like, well, how do we know, you know, these bottles are called slow flow or standard flow. And what does that mean? Is there any sort of standard for what that means? How do we know that they're really different? How much slower is slow flow than standard flow? Um, so I kind of developed this method of, of actually testing the bottle nipples for their flow rates and then realized that like, there's no standards, there's no regulations mm -hmm. around like what is slow flow or what is standard flow. Um, some of the companies have products that they call premature or preemie. There were products that we use in the hospital a lot that are really intended for just single time use. And those premature nipples were actually faster than the standard flow. Mm -hmm. um, but then some of the newer products like Dr. Brown's came out with a preemie nipple um, and that's slower. And so, you know, it just kind of created this whole set of questions around like what, you know, I think as a nurse and then as a parent, I assumed that those words on the labels meant something. Mm -hmm. And it really turned out that they didn't mean anything at all. And so then I really was feeling like, well, we need to know then, right? I mean, in the hospital, when we're working with, you know, medically complex babies and premature babies, and then, you know, when parents are taking new babies home, they need to have the information to help them make decisions that's going to be, you know, safe and good for their babies. And so, you know, I, it has now been about 15 years of, of testing bottle nipples, you know, and I had been doing this really as part of my research within kind of an academic model. Uh, and, you know, in doing that, it would always take several years for the information actually to get to people. Mm -hmm. And products change all the time. And so that's really how Infant Feeding Labs came about, was me feeling like people need access to really up-to-date information. Mm -hmm. um, you know, new products come out and I need to be able to test them and people want to know what those products are like tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that's kind of how it came about. Yeah, say it louder for those in the back, right? Because yeah. <laughs> this is something that parents are not given any information or guidance on. And I work with so many families where, you know, when they meet, they're like, well, my baby like screens when they take the bottle and they chug it down in five minutes, even though it's a slow flow. And having to explain to parents, like just because it, it says slow flow 
does not mean that it's slow flow because when you're a parent, you're shopping for these bottles, you assume that there's a standardization that gives right. each label like credit. Right. Um, but there isn't. So you could, you could have a slow flow bottle and your baby could still be like feeling a little waterboarded <laughs> essentially. And they're also not taught. A lot of parents aren't taught what to look for in terms of seeing if your baby is struggling with managing the flow or getting stressed while feeding. Yeah. You know, so sometimes it's, you know, when I'm working with a family, it's a lot of education around that. Like, do you see how he's splaying his fingers and toes? Do you see how he's like bringing up his eyebrows and arching his back? Yeah. He's saying, Oh, that's a lot of milk. Um, But then no one's ever taught this. And part of it I think is that maybe some providers just don't know themselves, but also when you're feeding bottles, and this is the point that often comes from the formula feeding community, which I agree with, is that, you know, it's assumed that if you're bottle feeding, that you're all set and you don't need any further education. You don't need any further guidance. It's just like, well, you take the bottle and you stick it in the baby's mouth. How hard can it be kind of right. thing? Yeah. Right. And they don't have access to any of this information, but you provide them, like you have memberships on your site for parents specifically. I do. Yeah. And, you know, the goal being like some babies, absolutely. You can stick pretty much any bottle in their mouth and they'll feed fine. Um, But then there's lots and lots of babies who are struggling with the bottle. And yeah, so I offer a membership for parents to access that information. And so they can make decisions and or work with someone to help them make those decisions about maybe if this isn't working for my baby, what's what's the next best thing to try? Right. Yeah. And I always, you know, IBCLCs are always thought of like breastfeeding specialists, right? But we can help with, with bottle feeding too. I probably work with like at least three formula feeding families a month who they're not breastfeeding at all and never were breastfeeding, but they, their baby is just like struggling with feeding from the bottle. And I think these families don't get a lot of guidance too, because usually the baby's gaining well, gaining weight well. And so they go to the pediatrician and they're like, well, we spend all day feeding this baby because she screams and will only take an ounce at a time. So then we have to wait a half hour, then give another ounce. And so they're just dealing with this unhappy, screaming, miserable baby, but they're making it work in the way that they get in those ounces by the end of the day. So the baby's gaining well. So a lot of providers are just like, well, you're, you're doing fine. Like, look at her weight gain. It looks great. And that is so frustrating for families. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, you know, essentially sort of why I do a lot of what I do is because, mm-hmm. you know, pediatricians get almost no education around feeding. Yeah. You know, it's really just focused on weight gain. And that is not the only thing that's important, you know, how they're feeding. You know, feeding is really the opportunity for parents and babies to interact. It's what they spend most of their time interacting around in those early months of life. And so if that is not going well and really stressful, that is really hard for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're right. You know, if, if a family goes to a pediatrician or a pediatric uh, nurse practitioner and says, you know, breastfeeding's not going well, they know to send them to a lactation consultant. Hopefully. (laughs) Um, Hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but if bottle feeding is not going well, they don't always know who to send that family to for help. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Lots of lactation consultants have that expertise. Um, yeah. Or, you know, there are other like speech, speech language pathology mm-hmm. teams that can help with feeding as well. Yeah. And I think that depends on the community too, because I know in Massachusetts, there really aren't a lot of 
OTs and SLPs who work specifically with infants. They're just kind of rare. Yeah. Um, so in our community, as you know, because you live in my community as well, um, it's a lot of time it is IBCLCs, whereas in, you know, other parts of the country, they might have o- lots of OTs in that area that can, yeah. that can do this and have that knowledge and expertise or SLPs. So yeah, really and I really think, you know, if these families get help early, then it could prevent a lot of sort of the bigger problems that end up needing to go to really like feeding specialty clinics. Um, And so that's also, you know, what I'm hoping to do is get people the information, kind of help babies early on so that we don't develop really big problems later. Yeah. And those problems can, can be big because this is the time where babies, their, their brain is forming, they're laying down those neuron pathways you know, whatever they are experiencing in their environment is teaching them how to respond to the environment. So if you have a baby that is struggling with feeding and is in pain with feeding or frustrated with feeding or whatnot, that's going to impact potentially their mental health further on down the road, even as adults, when they are like eating and whatever, fine. Yeah. Yeah. So it's important to get that help. Yeah. So what kind of, how do you, and I'm not asking you to like give away all your secrets or anything, but can you tell us a little bit about how you do the research that you do? Yeah. So, I mean, most, some of it is published, so it is kind of <laughs> available to the public. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I sort of over the years developed ways um, to do this really consistently. And the goal is not necessarily to know exactly how much a baby would take in a feeding because babies are really different in terms of, you know, the number of times they suck every minute and the amount of pressure that they apply. So the goal here is really to create a really standardized way of testing products so that we can compare them to each other. So I use a breast pump and um, have a whole process of sort of extracting the formula, I use formula, um, from the bottle nipple. Uh, and then I measure it on a scale and it's all video recorded um, so that I can really be as accurate as possible. Um, and I test a bunch of nipples of each type so that I can look at not only kind of the flow within that type of nipple, but also the amount of variability. Um, and that variability is really important. I think Uh, That was also one of the, I would say, most important things to come out of this work early on was, you know, when particularly in the hospital with our really fragile babies, you know, if a baby fed well at one feeding and didn't feed well at the next feeding, we kind of always assumed that that had something to do with the baby. But when we're using these disposable products and it turns out they're really highly variable, the flow at one feeding could be totally different from the flow at the next feeding. And so I think it was really important for us to understand that it actually might be the product and not always the baby. Um, And that actually becomes really important even in our healthy full-term babies outside of the hospital. You know, they are learning, right? Mm -hmm. Every time they eat, they're learning how to eat. And If we're changing the circumstances on them every time, meaning, you know, the bottle flow at one feeding, even if it's the same exact sort of type of nipple, if the flow at one feeding is completely different from the flow at the next feeding, 
they have to change up everything about what they're doing. So they have to change the way they're latched. They have to change how much pressure they apply. They have to change how many times they can suck before they swallow. Um, and so that variability can be really a problem for babies who are learning to eat. Uh, mostly a problem for our, you know, babies who are early or have other sort of special medical needs, but certainly even for those babies um, in the first, you know, month of life who are just, they're learning, they're new mm. to all of this, right? And so it's not necessarily just flow, but also the amount of variability in flow that happens as well. Yeah, I can imagine if you're like a preemie baby and you've done like, three good feedings on a bottle and you're like, I think I have this figured out. And then all of a sudden you go to the next feeding and like, it's just like a rush of milk or formula at you that that can be very distressing. And, you know, for babies who are struggling with feeding, it's kind of our natural instinct to like, well, let's change something and see if we can make it better. But that changing can be really problematic for babies who are learning. So if we're going to make a change, and this is true in the hospital or at home, if we're going to make a change, we should be making that decision based on information and choosing a product that's going to make it safer for that baby. Um, So that when we're making a change, we're making that kind of using information. And then once we find something that's working, being consistent and just sticking with it for a period of time to see if that's going to help that baby. Mm -hmm. Um, So constantly changing things can actually (laughs) be more of a problem. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And I, what I typically see is when I do like a bottle consult is, you know, you, you get to the consult and the parents like, we have tried every bottle on the market and they take out their huge tub of bottles that people have given them or that they've bought. And there's, they're just trying everything out of desperation. Usually they try it once. It's like, well, that didn't work. So I'm going to go to the next one. I'm going to go to the next one. So usually I try to, um, based on my assessment of the baby, narrow it down to like two or three choices and then kind of try one for a little bit and maybe try the other and see if there's like, you know, one that works better than the other. But these poor parents who are spending so much money out of desperation, just buying every bottle on the market without having any guidance on like what, what they're actually buying, what that bottle actually does, but also like having that IBCLC or SLP or OT support to, to assess the baby and figure out if there is a physical structural reason why the baby is struggling with bottles to begin with. And sometimes, like you said, it's prematurity and that just requires time. And, and sometimes it's, um, like structural, like tongue tie or something like that, high palate, and then, and then choosing an appropriate nipple shape for that, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I mean, you're right. Parents don't have any of this information. You know, I remember I have, I have a set of twins who are born prematurely uh, and spent some time in the NICU, mostly for feeding problems. And, you know, when they came home, I was doing a combination of breastfeeding and bottle feeding and I used the Medela wide base local nipple because that's what came with my pump. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> well, it says it's slow flow and it came with the pump. So that must be a good option. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I mean, my son in particular, like could not handle that flow. Yeah. He was coughing and gagging and choking every feeding. 
Um, and of course, this was like before I was doing all of this work, but really contributed to my motivation to want to give parents that information. Um, because I think we do, we make a lot of assumptions about, uh, you know, what those labels mean. And it turns out that Medela wide base slow flow nipple is actually really quite fast. Um, Looking to at that. your chart now, yeah, website, to a lot of the other like twenty two ish, yeah, mLs yeah. per minute, really fast. Yeah. Do you feel like, based on your research, and I know that this is, you might not be able to answer this because I, I, I kind of think it really depends on the baby. But is there an ideal flow rate that you like? Yeah. So I think um, generally, what I say is for. Are we talking about kind of outside of the hospital? Yeah, for like parents who are bottle feeding at home. Yeah, so, you know, I think for newborns um, who full-term healthy babies who, you know, are, are, are bottle feeding, something ideally like probably less than 10, five to 10 milliliters per minute in that early newborn stage particularly if they are also breastfeeding. Now, babies who are a little bit older, so once they're, you know, usually around a month old, um, if they're not also breastfeeding, then we can expand to like the, you know, 10 to 15 milliliters per minute. Um, because at that point, they have a little bit better head control to be able to, you know, keep their airway safe. But, you know, for babies who are also breastfeeding, until breastfeeding is really well established, um, at least this is kind of my current practice and, and sort of what I what I believe at the moment. And I'm always open to learning, so yes. feel free to disagree with me. But, um, you know, in that period of time where babies are establishing breastfeeding, keeping the flow rate slow kind of keeps them patient, right? Because breastfeeding is not necessarily slow flow. You know, I think what it is, is initially there's a period of, of no flow. And then actually during that letdown, it can be really quite fast. And then it slows down and there's kind of variations in flow throughout the feeding. With the bottle, you know, they start sucking, milk is there immediately. Um, and it's pretty consistent until they stop or the milk runs out. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, in that early period of time where babies are establishing breastfeeding, I think it's helpful to keep the flow slower just to keep the baby kind of patient when they go to the breast um, so that they're not expecting that milk to come out fast and immediate. Um, it's still gonna come out immediately, but keep it a little bit slower so that they can be a little more patient. And then, you know, as they get a little bit older, they have a little bit better head control, then we can expand a little bit. And sometimes I find that, you know, for moms who have a really fast milk flow. It actually helps as the baby gets a little older with the bottle to increase the flow rate a little bit. I generally do not think that uh, any baby, regardless of age, really needs to be on a flow faster than 20 milliliters per minute. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is another big piece of that labeling issue is that all of the bottle labels have age ranges on them. Uh, and that is not based on any data at all. Marketing um, data, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're just trying to get you to buy the next exactly. step up. So, yeah. 
Which sounds yeah, conspiracy just, theorist, but I swear to God, like, I think that's true. No, it is true. It's it's just a, a marketing way to get you to buy more product. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, if your nipple says, you know, zero months, and then the next flow rate says one month, and then the next one says three months, then when your baby turns three months, you think, oh, I have to, I have to buy these other nipples. Mm-hmm. And there's really no research to support that. Some of those products, as you get up, are extremely fast. Hmm. And there's just really no need for them. If the baby is continuing to feed safely and efficiently and happily, well, just let them be. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and certainly they, many of them can handle those faster flow rates, especially, you know, they get up to four, six months and they, they're establishing really good, you know, head control and they may even be like starting to sit, but it just is going to mean that they chug those bottles down. They may, you know, there's some research around eating really fast, um, establishing those kind of eating patterns that may contribute to later overeating and obesity. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of good data on that, but there's really no reason why they need to chug down a large amount of <laughs> mm-hmm. human milk or formula in a very short amount of time. So slowing them down, it's going to help their digestion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to keep them safer. So I really don't recommend increasing the flow unless there's some good reason for it. Yeah, and then that's a good point that you brought up about like the the higher risk of obesity and stuff later in life because you know you know as an IBCLC we always learn that formula feeding increases the risk of obesity later in life and I've always wondered is it the formula or is it the bottle and the only way that we would know is if we did the studies on exclusive pumpers right but it's because it's so it is easy for a baby to overeat on a bottle especially if you have a baby with like a really strong suckling need Yep. who, or even a baby with reflux who, you know, they, they want to suckle because their tummy hurts yep. and parents think, oh, that's a feeding cue. He must want more. And I've met a lot of babies with reflux who are getting like twice the amount that they're supposed to be getting because parents, not for no fault of their own, right. were, you know, told Trusting these that. are feeding cues, but they're actually not feeding cues in, in this case. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, it's one of the hard things, but also really good things about breastfeeding is that we don't know how much they take every single feeding. And we have to trust the baby to know what they need. And we have to (laughs) trust our bodies to make what they need. Mm -hmm. And absolutely, there's times and places where that's not true. And so, of course, we need to sort of be, you know, keep our eyes open to issues. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the case where the baby is feeding well, gaining weight, peeing and pooping well, you know, it can be really hard to trust, you know, that we're making enough milk and the baby's eating enough, but it teaches them to, to self-regulate, right? It teaches them to be able to say when they're hungry or say when they're full. And when we have a bottle where we kind of have this mental idea of how much they should take, in those first four months of life, sucking is a reflux, reflex. I talk about reflux a lot. Um, So if it's a reflex and we we think, oh, they didn't quite take enough. Let's put the bottle back in their mouth. They're going to suck and they're going to swallow and they're going to eat some more. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. You're right. I, we don't have good data on that, but I think there's some really good sort of theories about why that might be the case, um, mm-hmm. that it might not just be the formula itself, but how we're feeding them as well. That contributes to those you know, later statistics around obesity. Right. And I think a part of it too, is a lot of us grew up in that generation where we were told to clean our plates, yep. clean our plates. So then when we start feeding babies from the bottle, it was like, well, you didn't finish. You got to take yep. the rest. Yep. Um, and like you said, at the brass, they might be taking a lot, one feeding and a quick yep. snack on the other. And you don't know. Yeah. Um, and that can be, you know, as you mentioned, that involves a, a huge amount of trust. And if you have a family that has been like exclusively pumping and they, they're making their way back to the breast, it can be really hard for them Absolutely. because they've gotten used to seeing exactly how much their baby is getting and knowing like, okay, my baby took, you know, 25 ounces today. He took it enough. Yeah. Then you go to the breast and it's like, well, I don't know how much they took. Yeah. I always tell him, he's like, I wish we had little measuring dashes on our breast. That would make my job easier too. Yeah. But we don't. And so you just have to watch the baby. You have to watch how many swallows you're seeing. Do they seem content after? Are they peeing and pooping? All the things that you listed, they yeah. gaining weight. Yeah. Um, but and yeah, some the- of that sort of hesitancy also comes from healthcare providers yes. that, you know, you know, especially healthcare providers that don't have a lot of breastfeeding expertise, feeling Mm -hmm. really uncomfortable, not knowing. Right. And so it's not just parents, but also can be coming from the medical team as well. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of families whose babies, you know, are having issues with weight gain and they tell the family, oh, you should just not breastfeed, just like pump and bottle feed to see how much milk you're making. And that's in some cases that is appropriate, but in many cases that is not appropriate and can, you know, create a lot of work and hardship for the parents and a lot of anxiety too. Um, And in those cases, you know, if I think if pediatricians are going to tell a family to do that, then you definitely need to be like, and also you need to go see this IBCLC. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have like and again, this, I know this is really up to each baby individually and, and whatever feeding issues that they are having, but do you have like a favorite bottle? I know we're not <laughs> supposed to push certain brands, but I know like I have my top three favorites that I carry on me for families. I was just curious if you have the same. Yeah. You know, so, um, I, I do end up using the Dr. Brown's narrow neck. It's my favorite. Um, <laughs> A lot. Yeah, Yeah. probably. That's probably most of the time. And, you know, one of the things, so I think that is really good for establishing a good latch. Um, You know, it's got the nice cylindrical nipple um, that kind of encourages their tongue to move in the proper way. Uh, And it also has multiple different flow rates. So, you know, I have all of the different flow rates in my office and I usually will start on a preemie nipple, mostly because if if people are coming to see me, they're having some difficulties. And so that's usually what I start with, unless they've been feeding on something else and being successful. But for the most part, that's not the case if they're coming to see me. Um, you know, so I probably most often will start with the Dr. Brown's narrow neck preemie. You know, I do like the next step up is their newborn or transition nipple. It's kind of hard to access, like it's not sold in stores, um, but you can purchase it online. And so I have them in my office to trial as well. You know, the Dr. Brown's bottle uh, is harder to clean. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for some families that is not the best option. Uh, there is another product called Infant Labs, called N-F-A-N-T Labs, uh, and they have pretty comparable flow rates to the Dr. Brown's products. Um, they're like a little bit slower for each one. So I have I have those in my office as well um, because they're pretty comparable in terms of flow and variability, but they don't have the whole venting system. And they're also that kind of same shape and size. I know a lot of people recommend the Lansino. Um, I actually find that to be quite fast. I think people like kind of the, um, what is it? Pyramidal or pyramidal uh, shape to it. Um, and I do think that encourages a good wide, you know, latch, but it's really quite fast. Um, and I think at least for the babies who end up coming to see me, it's a little bit faster than they can often handle. Um, and are yeah, you talking about the Lansino natural wave? Is that yeah. the one? Yeah. And, you know, I have, um, and these will be added very soon. I have the lactation hub nipples are a similar shape to the Lansino, um, but they come in some other flow rates. And so I have those to test. Um, although I have heard that they were changing, you know, their manufacturer. And so maybe they'll be changing soon too. Um, and then I think the other one that a lot of people recommend is the pigeon brand. Um, they also have some slower flow. So I'll be testing those as well. Those are not up there you know, at the moment, but. I'm excited um, to see your results. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I've also, and I have the next step for testing in the lab is um, the even flow balance. Nipples. I was just looking at the list to see if you already had it here. I see you have the so even those flow are- classic, but not the balance yet. Yeah. Um, so most recently I've been testing some of the lower cost products that are available. Um, so like Parents' Choice from Walmart and some of the dollar store brands. So those will be kind of the next set that'll get added to the website because I've already done the testing. But the next ones that will be tested are the um the even flow balance. Uh and I have um the nano baby coming up and the juvie boob coming up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I know it's, it's hard to like keep up because there's just so many products, but yeah, it's like breast pumps every year. There's like 10 new, I can't keep up anymore to be honest with the breast pumps. Like I, yeah. I kind of like stopped trying. I know. I know. It's just way too many. When I had babies, yeah. there was like three. Yep. And now it's there's that. like 22. I mean, Sometimes choice, too much choice is not a good thing. Yeah, you know, and I'll also mention all of these products, you know, are making all sorts of claims about helping with reflux or helping with colic or, you know, act, you know, it's the shape of the breast and none of that is supported by research. Um, I just think that's so important for professionals and families to know is that, I mean, it's all just marketing, right? There's so many companies out there trying to sell baby bottles <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, they're trying to make their products stand out. And there are some absolutely wild things out there. And, you know, a baby bottle just does not function in the baby's mouth the same way that breast tissue does. So kind of all of these claims around like acting like the breast or 
feeling like the breast, they're really not based on real data. Um, and so, you know, while shape is important in terms of helping babies kind of create that good wide gape that's going to help them when they transition between bottle and breast, a lot of these claims are just kind of marketing ploys. Right. I often find that the ones that are that claim to be shaped and feel like real breasts end up being the worst bottles to use with yep. some of these babies. And of course, parents are buying those bottles because it's like, oh, well, it looks just like, and some of them look like a breast, right? but it's very misleading. It's very, it's like typically not a good bottle. Extremely misleading. Yeah. Yeah. Are you willing to talk a little bit about the Phillips even natural response because I feel like it is an extremely popular bottle in our area and it's a concerning bottle. So yes. would you be willing to talk about that? Yes, I would love to talk about that. Um, yeah. So, you know, the old, so Philips Abbott has two product lines. They have what they call their natural or natural response line. And then they have kind of an anti-colic line. In 2022, they changed their natural response product line. Now they said that they didn't change the anti-colic line, but actually the flow rates have changed. Um, and if you look at the actual product, they have changed. Um, so, but in a good way for the anti-colic. The anti-colic product used to be super fast. And now at least their slow flow is within a flow rate that I think is reasonable to call slow flow. <laughs> um, it used to be like crazy fast. There, Natural line used to be something that lots of people loved. And I hear right now, I have lots of babies that come in who their older siblings did really well on the old Avid Natural bottles. But the new products just are not great. Um, not it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually have not seen any babies successfully extract milk from the new level one Advent natural response. It is like extraordinarily difficult to get milk out of. And that's really, it's just a huge problem. It's like astounding to me, honestly, that the product is still out there. Um, I was going to ask if you had heard any whispers of a possible recall, because I feel like it needs to be recalled. It does. Yeah. The level one absolutely does. And I, you know, I think it's really a problem because right now it's in a lot of those baby boxes that I think Amazon does it and maybe Bye Bye Baby does it where you get sort of a, you know, Sample. sampling of products. Yeah. And that's one of the ones in there. And it's really a problem. Like, I really don't recommend that anybody use the Avent Natural Response Level 1 nipple because it's just almost impossible for babies to drink out of. I have seen some babies be successful on the level two, the new level two nipples. Um, but many babies are needing to start at the level three, which sounds wild because we think of level three as in other brands being really fast. And it is in other brands really fast. But the new level one is actually more comparable to the old, what they used to call level zero. Um, so again, just an example of like labeling not accurately reflecting anything about the product. 
And it's a problem. It's a huge problem right now. It is like the bane so, of my existence, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you're out there struggling, trying to feed your baby with an Advent Natural level one nipple, like it's not you or your baby. Mm-hmm. It is the product. It's the product. Yeah. And I've actually seen babies who are losing weight because yeah. they are just putting so much effort trying to extract milk. And then of course, you know, for no fault of the parents, they just didn't have, they just don't have the education, but you know, they, they, they say like, oh, my baby takes 45 minutes to take a bottle and won't finish it because they just pass out before they can even finish the bottle. And the parents are like, well, he must be full. I don't want to overfeed my baby. So I'm just going to stop. And these babies just lose weight. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And one more question. We, we kind of talked briefly or touched briefly on it, but what are some signs that parents should look for that might indicate that their baby is struggling with managing the flow with the bottle or struggling with the bottle? Yeah. So, you know, I think um, if your baby during feeding is coughing, um, choking, gagging, if they're showing kind of stress signs. So like we talked about, like eyebrows raised, doing like really gulping, you can like they're working really hard to try and swallow fast enough to keep up with the flow. You know, sometimes they'll like splay out their fingers. They might start to like turn away or push the nipple out of their mouth. Um, And that's all, you know, babies have a couple of different options if the flow rate is too fast. Um, So they can either try and swallow fast enough to keep up with that milk coming into their mouth. What happens then is every time they swallow, they actually have to hold their breath for about a second. And so really that means that, you know, they're going to swallow and swallow and swallow and swallow, kind of holding their breath. And eventually they're going to kind of need to breathe. And so then they have a couple of options. They can either like turn away, spit it out, or they can kind of keep trying to do that, but then try and breathe. Um, even with the bottle still in their mouth. And sometimes when they do that, they, you hear kind of like a squeaking sound. It's like a, mm-hmm. and that's them kind of trying to open their airway just enough to breathe while still kind of trying to keep up with the flow. Um, they can let it drool out of their side. So if they can't keep up with swallowing fast enough, it might come out of their side of their mouth. Or when you pull the nipple out, you might find that they've like been holding it in their cheeks. Or if they're trying to swallow fast enough, but they can't kind of quite keep up, then some of that milk might sit back in the back of their throat um, and cause them to either cough or gag or choke. Um, And so those are probably... And then what they might do if this is a consistent problem where they're feeling unsafe during feeding is when they might start to show some refusal behavior. So Mm -hmm. they might start to like push the nipple out or not open their mouth. They might turn their head away, push it away. Um, They're really, you know, even though they can't talk to us, they do communicate with us about kind of how feeding is going. And so those are all some of the signs that I would be looking for that flow is too fast. And we do find sometimes that even healthy full-term babies, you know, if we get down to a pretty slow, actually slow flow nipple based on actual data, um, and they're still struggling, sometimes turning them in that sideline position can help them manage the flow rate and their breathing a little bit better and make bottle feeding 
a little bit more comfortable for them. Yep. I do a lot of sideline bottle. I do a lot of that in the NICU as well. Yes. So we use sideline a lot in the NICU. Yeah. Um, and for that exact reason. And it makes sense that, you know, if you think about gravity during feeding, if you're laying on your back and you get a little bit overwhelmed by the flow rate, then it's going to sit back in the back of your throat and put you at risk for breathing that down into your lungs. If you lay them on their side, then it can kind of pull in their cheek if they can't keep up with it. Uh, but, you know, it's a little bit easier to first slow down the flow rate and then use that as, as an additional option to help with feeding. But it is the, you know, it is the position that babies are generally in with breastfeeding. So it's kind of biological norm in terms of feeding positions. So um, I use sideline a lot in babies who are struggling with feeding. So tell, tell our listeners more about where people can find you, about your, um, your website, Infant Feeding Labs, um, your membership for parents, all that stuff. Yeah, so infantfeedinglabs.com um, is where you can go to learn more about the flow rate information. Um, if you go into member areas, then there's two options. So there's uh, standard access, which is what most parents will need. Um, and then there's professional access, for you know, professionals who really need access to all of the products, including products that are used in the hospital. Um, there's some other information in there about like thickening, what to use when we need to thicken liquids, things like that for professionals. Um, if you're looking for help with feeding, then you can visit infantfeedingcare.com. That is my um, clinical practice website. Um, so you can contact me through the contact form there or send an email to Britt at infantfeedingcare.com. On that website, Infant Feeding Care, there's also some other uh, education options um, for mostly for professionals right now who are interested in learning more about feeding. And um, there's also some other resources on infantfeedingcare.com uh, for professionals, but also parents. Um, so I've developed some feeding assessment tools so if you're really struggling with feeding your child, or if you're a professional who would like some assessment tools, uh, those are available for free on that website uh, and can be really helpful, uh, particularly for parents who are needing to get a referral and aren't getting the help that they need. Mm -hmm. um, so just wanted to let you know that that is available as well. Perfect. And I'll put links to all those in the show notes. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today, Britt. This was this was amazing. I'm so glad that I found you. You're doing such great, important work and helping you. families and babies. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyChaffIBCLC.com, where you can check out more options for support through pregnancy and beyond, including the Baby Pro Bistro, our parenting community. You can also follow us on social media at Shelly Taft IBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help our episodes reach more parents like you. Thanks for listening.